All right, all right. Welcome, everybody, to the gathering. We're grateful that you're here tonight. Make sure as you're getting back to your seats, as you're filling up on coffee, that you are at a table with other people. Tonight, we're going to have a lot of group talk, a lot of discussion. So do make sure that you're at a table, especially at a table with people you like talking to. Yeah. So I have uh, two things to announce tonight, two uh, very special good news type of things. Uh, the girl that we were just talking about uh, not being able to find is now found, and she's safe, and so that's good, good news. God certainly answers prayer. And uh, tonight is also a very special night because it's Donna's birthday. So what we're going to do, Donna, if you would stand up on the, the table or your chair, whatever you prefer. I'm kidding. Just do us like a little wave right here. This is Donna right here. And we're going to sing happy birthday as loudly as you possibly can. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday. And go all out right here. That was beautiful. I want to open with a a story tonight. Three stories, actually. There was once a man whose marriage was on the brink. It felt like it was just falling apart right before his very eyes. And everything he was trying to do to make it better, to salvage this marriage, it just seemed like it wasn't working. It seemed like it was just getting worse. He was getting so sick and tired of all the arguing, all the bitterness, all the hatred, all the hurt. But he realized that he did share some of the blame, but realizing that he shared some of the blame didn't really actually do all that much to make him feel better. He was tied up by his difficulty. There was once a woman, a woman who felt lonely, even though people were surrounding her all the time. Even though she had friends, she still felt so alone. Whenever people would say, hey, how are you doing? How's it going? She would always respond the same way with a simple, I'm good. But deep down in her heart, she knew that that phrase was a sham. She knew that it was a mask that she wore. She she knew that it was all a circus act that she was playing because She wasn't good inside. She was lonely. She was tied up by her loneliness. 
There was once a man who was fuming with frustration. He was so upset at everything. All these just little things that would just get under his skin and, and cause such great irritation and outrage. He, he felt like he was just ready to explode. Even just the littlest things would set him off. The pressures of work, the pressures at home, the, the busyness that he was experiencing and going through, it, it made his fuse quite microscopic. He was tied up by frustration. I want to begin tonight with some group discussion with the people around your table, and I want you to address the following question. What do you do when you're tied up by troubles? Okay, go ahead. All right, we got about 30 seconds left, so make sure everyone gets a chance to share. What do you do when you're tied up by troubles?
All right, let's wrap it back up. Thanks for sharing. So tonight, we continue our study in the book of Daniel with chapter 3, verse 14 through 30. We left off with King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who built this massive, great golden statue. He made this golden statue 90 feet by 9 foot. And he wanted everyone to see just how great this statue was. Go ahead and put it up on the screen for me so everyone gets a good glimpse at this golden statue. Regardless of how cool everybody thought this C-3PO golden statue was that King Nebuchadnezzar had built, it was their task to bow down. The plan was that uh, at the moment when all the music would start, all the bass guitars, all the drums, all the electric guitars, all the, the flutes and lutes and harps and all of these strange instruments, when they would sound, everyone was supposed to bow down and pay homage to this great golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Except... Three fellas didn't bend the knee. Three young Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And since they didn't bow down, it sent King Nebuchadnezzar, the text says, into a fit of rage, also known as an adult temper tantrum. So what I want to do is I want to begin with verses 14 through 15. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand as we revere the word of God tonight. This is after King Nebuchadnezzar has cooled down a little bit, just enough to get some words out. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods and that you don't pay homage to the golden statue that I erected? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must bow down and pay homage to the statue that I had made. If you don't pay homage to it, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, who is that God who can rescue you from my power? Insert villainous laugh here. Let's pray. God, tonight, would you teach us what to do when we're tied up by troubles? We look to you for that, Lord. We ask for your guidance and for your strength to carry on. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're going to begin with verse 14. It reads, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods and that you don't pay homage to the golden statue that I erected? Remember, this golden statue was massive, 90 feet by 90 foot, 9 foot, set on the plain of Dura. This was an area that was relatively flat meaning you could see it from miles and miles away. Maybe a helpful local comparison would be nice to see. Something like St. Mary Magdalene Chapel. The bell tower is actually 90 feet 
tall. It might happen to be nine feet wide as well. I'm not sure. I just know the dimensions are 90 feet. No, I, I didn't get up there with a tape measure. They actually have this information available for you. But this is kind of a, a good local comparison with the dimensions of what might be a 90-foot statue. Now, one of the questions that always comes up was, well, was it pure gold? Was the whole thing made of gold or was it just uh, plated with gold? I don't know the answer to that question. It was gold. That's all we understand. But uh, that's all we get. But where did the gold come from is a good question. At this point, Babylon was the greatest the greatest empire within the ancient Near East. So it makes sense that they would have a, a lot of gold. But maybe an interesting perspective to consider is that this is the King Nebuchadnezzar who devastated and pillaged the temple of Jerusalem. The temple that some years before King David had deposited 100,000 talents of gold. So it's interesting to maybe consider the thought that perhaps this golden statue actually had gold smelted down from the gold from the temple at Jerusalem. This is an interesting thought to consider. But verse 15 continues. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must bow down and pay homage to the statue that I had made. So, King Nebuchadnezzar is being so generous and nice here. But, if you don't pay homage to it, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, who is that God who can rescue you from my power? So, in other words, King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you better bow down or else you're toast. Quite literally. Verse 16 through 18 continues, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you a reply concerning this. Now, That's not a nice way to talk to a king. Especially one who holds your life in his hands. But they go on. If our God whom we are serving exists, he is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us, O king, from your power as well. But catch this. But if... Not, if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods and we will not pay homage to the golden statue you have erected. What audacity, what boldness and courage these three young men show even in the face of death. They choose burning rather than apostasy. They choose the flames rather than abandoning their faith. They refuse to bow down to the king's silly golden statue like everybody else. And they refuse to give up on their God. Even if God doesn't rescue them from this present predicament, they refuse to give up on God. Because they know that God will never give up on them. 
Verse 19 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. I mean, these young foreigners did say some pretty bold, outlandish words. Words you wouldn't dare say to the royalty. And his disposition changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Aramaic literally states the appearance of his face was altered. Some like to translate this as his face became distorted with rage. Or his face became livid with utter rage. Everybody make a face that's livid with utter rage. Nita. That does not look, that looks like a scared face. That's not, someone show me a face that's marked with utter rage. You guys are so chicken. I don't get it. It's okay. We all know we have those faces that we make. Well, his face changes. It's marked by utter rage, complete rage, livid. And he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it was normally heated. You know, fireplaces typically range in heat between 500 degrees and 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's why when you touch it, it hurts. It burns. But let's be generous and say that Nebuchadnezzar's furnace was 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Up that by seven times, you get 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's more or less the temperature at the center of an atomic bomb's explosion. Pretty hot. Better yet, that's the temperature of the Earth's mantle at the boundary of the core. Okay, was it literally 7,000 degrees Fahrenheit? There's probably no way of knowing. What this is saying is that it was really, really hot. Verse 20 says, he ordered strong soldiers, catch it, not just any soldiers, strong soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So those young, those men were tied up while still wearing their cloaks, trousers, turbans, and other clothes. So this is showing us that there's this urgency. They don't, they don't rip them off, the, the clothes off their backs, they just... Tie them up and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. Verse 22 says, But since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so excessively hot, the men who escorted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were killed by the leaping flames. But those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the furnace of blazing fire while still securely bound. Our three friends are tied up by their troubles on a number of levels, literally and figuratively. And there's no escape. God hasn't saved them from the situation. Not yet. Verse 24 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was startled and quickly got up. 
He said to his ministers, wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied to the king, for sure, O king. He answered, but I see four men untied and walking around in the midst of the fire. No harm has come to them. And the appearance of the fourth is like that of a god. The Aramaic actually reads, Dame levar elahin. Like that of a son of the gods. Now, many of the fathers of the early church tried to, to understand this as a Christological phrase. The son of God. Or that it's pointing to Jesus. But who's speaking these words? King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan, right? And he's speaking these things from his own polytheistic frame of reference. We we have to take that into consideration. And so for him, the phrase, like the son of the gods, is equivalent to saying something like, It's like a divine being. It's something God-like. And he himself will later say that it it was an angel. But the strange thing is that if we're reading really closely, the text reveals that Nebuchadnezzar alone, Nebuchadnezzar alone sees the three plus one. The king who thought no God could save the three from his power is now the one who sees God's intervention. The three have not been delivered from the fire. They've been delivered in the fire. The four unbound contrast the three who were previously bound and tied up. Deliverance comes through the presence of this fourth person, this divine aid who enters into the fire himself to neutralize this capacity for harm by the presence of his own superior power. Verse 26a says, Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Nebuchadnezzar's tune has changed dramatically here. And he rushes over to the furnace. The furnace was apparently had a, a ground floor level opening as well as the top chute where the three were previously thrown in. And he says these words. And then verse 26b continues, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego emerged from the fire. Once the satraps, prefects, governors, and ministers of the king had gathered around, they saw that those men were physically unharmed by the fire. The Aramaic literally reads, the fire did not have power. The hair of their heads was not singed, nor were their trousers damaged. Not even the smell of fire was to be found on them. Now that's weird. My dad is a firefighter. He's been a firefighter for almost 30 years. And his truck always smells like his turnouts. It smells cool, like smoke and stuff. And when he'd bring his turnouts home, it would smell like smoke in our house because he had these smoky turnouts, these fire-protective clothing. My truck smells like old books and 
dirty wetsuits, so not as appealing as this smoky, fiery scent. But even after a good long soak, after a good wash, those clothes still smell like fire. But the three, on them there's no scent of smoke. Not a hair was singed, not a thread of their clothing was damaged. It's interesting to me that God doesn't save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the ordeal of the fire. Does not save them at all. They jump right into the fire. But rather, God's presence joins them in the fire. And in the process, God protects, and God saves, and God unties their troubles. Verse 28 says, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praised be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent forth his angel and has rescued his servants who trusted in him, ignoring the edict of the king and giving up their bodies rather than serve or pay homage to any god other than their god. Angels are really busy in the book of Daniel. Here we see him. We're going to see him in Daniel chapter 6 with the den of lions. We're going to see him later on in the book of Daniel. And it it makes me wonder, maybe angels are busy where the people are faithful. But also you see angels busy where people are very unfaithful, like Sodom and Gomorrah, bringing down that destruction. Just a thought. But Nebuchadnezzar here continues, I hereby decree... That any people, nation, or language group that blasphemes the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be dismembered. And his home reduced to rubble. For there exists no other God who can deliver in this way. So what do you you take from that? Is that a, a statement of monotheism? That there's only one God? I'm asking, just, it's not a rhetorical question. What do you think? Sorry. Well, no other God who can deliver in this way. He's not denying the fact that, or, or his opinion that there may be other gods. I think he's simply seeing that this God is probably like the top dog in the, the pantheon, in his polytheistic mini-God worldview. But he's, he's beginning to see that maybe this is the one true God. Then Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Pretty incredible story of God's deliverance. What do you do when you're tied up by troubles? I think in this story we get clear answers. What do you do? You stand firm. You stand firm in your faith no matter what. Very simple. All all you got to do is say yes to God and no to evil. And you know what? The, the more you say yes to God, well, Betty, if you always say yes to God, you have no chance of saying yes to evil. So we see stand firm in faith, even when your life's at stake. Stand firm in faith, and also stand firm in community. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are always together. Everywhere we see them in Scripture, they are together. They are never separated. 
It's not like Shadrach decides somewhere, you know what, guys, uh, I'm actually going to bow down. The, the furnace thing is not, not my deal. No, no, no. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stick together. It, it's not like Meshach decides to betray Shadrach and Abednego and make some deal with Nebuchadnezzar. All right, yeah, we'll toss these guys in and then I'll, I'll get a different position. No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stick together through the hardship. And through the, the difficulty that is before them, they're banded together in community. To the one who is tied up by difficulty, whose marriage is on the brink, I would say stand firm in faith. And stand firm in community. You need God and you need people. To the one who's tied up by loneliness, whose response, I'm good, is a sham. Stand firm in faith and stand firm in community. To the one who's tied up by frustration, who's fuming and about to explode, stand firm in faith and stand firm in community. I want to close with some group talk tonight, some extended time of group talk where we actually get real with each other. I warned you, make sure you're sitting at a table with people you like. We previously talked about what do you do when you're tied up by troubles. But let's get real. Let's take it a little step further. What troubles are tying you up? And what are you going to do about it? Ready, go.
Okay, one more minute here. Do you make sure everyone gets a chance to at least share? Let's wrap it up. Let's bring it back together here. You guys can continue as we uh, wrap things up tonight. But I want to get your attention for something for a moment as we close things out tonight, if I may. So you guys can just put it on pause if you guys are going strong right now. Um, But I didn't get a chance to be in every group, so I'll just tell you um, what I'm tied up with. Uh, I want to get real with you guys. Uh, is you're all getting real. I hope you don't think, whoa, he's just standing there on the stage, not, not engaging in any group. But, uh, you know, I, I love you guys. I really do. And it's been an amazing five and a half years, almost five and a half years, you know, from the backyard to a tree to a school to the Boys and Girls Club for a while, to here. It's been absolutely amazing. And I I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I feel tied up. I feel tied up that, you know, I I get to come up here and I get to share and I get to experience uh, being in community with you, but I'm the one who gets to just be the mouthpiece, sharing my stories, my experiences my struggles, my trials. And I feel tied up that, that I don't get to hear your voice enough. And that's something that, that burdens me. It's something that, that I feel tied up about. And I'm, I've come into this realization that I want to love you deeper. But I can't love you deeper if I don't know you deeper. And yeah, there's stuff at church. We can talk on Wednesday. We can talk on Sunday. But what, I, what I've done, I, I put my cards, and we always joke about how I never get rid of my, my business cards. I put them on the table because I want to meet with you. And I, I meet with a lot of you guys. Sometimes I meet with some of you guys way too much. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Paul. But, you know... I want to I wanna learn something from you. And maybe in the process, you know, you can learn something from me too. Uh, when we started five years ago, this is one of actually the first passages I preached on when we were at the, uh, the school. And so it's kind of a neat cycle, a season of life to, to transition to now. And I feel like we as a church have grown. I personally have, have felt like I've grown. But sometimes I, I, I feel like I want to get to know you more. I'm not, I'm not a kid anymore, and I want to experience life with you. I know I'm not that old. I haven't experienced everything in life, but maybe you can tell me about it. 
If you don't have questions and you don't have problems, then come talk to me. I've got plenty of questions and and plenty of of problems that that we can learn together. But seriously, uh, I'd love to meet with all of you, so blow up my phone. I gave you my number so you can give me yours. So go ahead, tonight, sometime, text me your number, blow up my phone. Sometimes it blows up too much, but I'm inviting you today to blow up my phone. Send me your number when you want to meet. I don't care. I meet with anybody. Anytime. I love coffee. I love food. I love home-cooked meals, too. I'll, I'll meet you wherever. So, uh, But in, in all honesty, this is something that, that ties, ties me up. And we have a church who we've got a lot of people who are doing awesome stuff. So maybe this is like a campaign where I'm saying, like, don't just go to Jeff. Because as we continue to grow, we have new people, new leaders, new pastors. And what I love to see, what we love to see as a church are you guys stepping up. And investing in the lives of people. Doing that discipleship. So it's not just all on Jeff. I got a little bit on me. So pour it on me, alright? That's what I'm saying. But I want to close tonight with a passage from Isaiah. And then, then do, do stay in your groups if you wanted to continue talking about all your troubles and stuff. But this is a fitting passage, I think, for, for us to close with. It's Isaiah 43. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, O Jacob, and formed you, O Israel. Don't be afraid. For I will protect you. I call you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I am with you. When you pass through the streams, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. Flames will not harm you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Deliverer. Lord, we thank you that you deliver us from our trials, from our hardship. But Lord, we thank you most for being there with us in the trials and in the hardship. Help us to stand firm in faith and help us to stand firm in community. Lord, would you guide us Would you protect us? Would you overwhelm us with your love as it overflows into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.